0: Welcome to the first inaugural episode of Analyze Asia with Bernard Leong, And um, this is Bernard Leong speaking here. Yes, you may not know who I am. Um, in a day, I actually work as a corporate employee. And in the evening, I actually connect people around the Southeast Asia entrepreneurial ecosystem. But what I want to do was actually to set up this little media project called Analyze Asia, where I will interview the thought leaders and people who actually read, brief and even write about digital and their insights about this part of the world. So on my first inaugural episode, um, I'm very honored. Actually, I've been conversing with him over Twitter, and uh, we actually, I think, debated with different people from, I think, uh, Ben Thompson, Benedict Evans, and even Mark Andreessen on Twitter before, and his name is Samir Singh, and he's the author of TechThoughts.net. Hi, Samir.
1: Hi, Bernard. How are you doing?
0: I'm fine. Uh, and I think this is our first conversation was actually all on Twitter. <laughs> and we I, never met. Yeah, actually met, it was. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I was actually glad to interface with someone who's based in Asia and understands the Asian market. So I think this project is uh, uh, it's much needed, I would say.
0: Yeah. And I, I think it's also that... Um, we kind of more on the ground, and we saw sort of be able to tell a little tell the audience out there a little bit more about what we really do. So yeah. I kind of saw wanted to check in with you. What got you started with uh, your site TechThoughts dot net?
1: So uh, it actually started with I was working in the investment banking industry that dealt with the technology sector, but. Uh, India, as a technology market, tends to lag behind uh, certain other more advanced markets by a couple of couple couple of years. So I started tracking the uh, the more emerging aspects of the industry, and I kind of uh, I needed an outlet for my thoughts, a scrapbook, so to speak. So uh, one of my friends suggested that uh, I should start writing about it, and I did, and then it started it just snowballed from there, and it became much bigger than uh, than I thought it would. So as of today, it's probably uh, it's an ongoing self-education project for me. And I'm, uh, I'm also lucky enough to learn a lot uh, from my audience and uh, it gave me an opportunity to interact with some very, very smart people in the, in the industry. So I don't know, uh, it's probably helped my audience as well, but it's definitely helped me to learn uh, much more than I could have otherwise. Yeah.
0: And actually, I got to know you through um, Ben Thompson's retweet of one of your articles. And then uh-huh. the couple of conversations just started and then it basically lead up to this conversation here. So, you're based in India, right?
1: Correct. Uh, for the next one month, at least, I am, yes.
0: Where will you be heading to?
1: <laughs> uh, I'm moving to London at the end of this month. I'll be joining APANI. It's an exciting time for me and my family.
0: Right. So, you're married with kids?
1: Yeah, I have a six-month-old daughter. Uh, so, a fairly recent dad.
0: So, you're based off in London?
1: Uh, yeah, I'll be based out of London, correct.
0: Mm. Okay. So, actually, we wanted to talk a little bit about the mobile operating systems and basically the mobile market, mainly in the Mm -hmm. smartphone space in Asia. So I Mm -hmm. I guess the best way to really enter the conversation is to start from a much more high level. And I think that currently there are predominantly two operating systems, which is Apple and Google's Android. So I guess we kind of want to sort of start off with just both of them. And what do you sense... Um, their footprint in at least the emerging market like India, how big each one of these uh, operating systems are like. Mm.
1: I think you you picked a really good topic and a very very controversial topic as it were. Uh, It's very very difficult to uh, talk about this, uh, you know, talk about this without uh, eliciting some strong opinions from the audience. So I'm going to try and be as uh, as honest as possible. Mm. So uh, Uh, I'd say in Asia specifically differs from uh, the rest of the world when it comes. I mean, we have a dual OS uh, situation practically in every region of the world, but in Asia specifically, I think it's a little bit unique because uh, Asia is the only market where you can truly say that Apple is really the luxury manufacturer. As you said last time, that they are the Louis Vuitton uh, of Asia. Uh, and, and And I think that's uh, partly because of the pricing structure. I, I know you can shed a lot more light uh, on China, but if I if I'm to use India as an example, uh, a consumer who buys a product at one thousand dollars is probably different from a consumer who buys the same product at two hundred dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think Apple has occupied that uh, niche, uh, very luxurious, st- status-oriented uh, uh, market in Asia, and especially in India. And I think Androids effectively become the uh, the mass mar- the mass market alternative, right? The Windows, uh, as it were, uh, um the uh, the PC and the uh, mobile spaces are some. There's a lot of similarities between them, but there's also uh, a difference of scale. Where uh, as a minority OS, you could still have hundreds of millions of users. Where in the PC space, that wasn't exactly uh, it wasn't really the case. So uh, you've got a situation where. Uh, the Android OS has scores of OEMs, and those OEMs are uh, at the high end and at the low end, the markets become incredibly competitive. And they effectively uh, sort of marginalized all uh, all the other OSes apart from Apple that occupies a niche high end.
0: Mm. But how is the Android fragmentation like? I mean, in in China, it's very common that you see across that you know the Android versions actually vary very right, yeah. very widely and um, whereas yeah. the iOS, the fragmentation is very minimal. In fact, I think in the last WWDC is when or even, the, even back dates it to the uh, one of those keynotes is something like ever since they launched they had something like about 90 over percent conversion. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: How do you so, see the fragmentation like in India?
1: Uh, I, I split it into two parts when we talk mm. about fragmentation, right? One is hardware fragmentation, one is software. Uh, China specifically is, a, is probably a different example because uh, because of the problem with Google services there so you have uh, you have AOSP running there but you have multiple different apps so it's ecosystem fragmentation more than anything else in China that's right in in, in India that problem doesn't really exist so you have uh, you effectively have Google Play services that are uh, that dominate the region in, in terms of an ecosystem but uh, when you look at software fragmentation what's kind of happened over the last couple of years is that uh, so uh, we've seen various splits of Android versions, right? you'd have only like 20 or 30% of people on the latest version of Android. But more and more, I think Google's sort of drawn away the core APIs of the operating system into Google Play services, which support a much wider range of uh, OS versions. So I think as of today, you might have only uh, 20 or 30% that support uh, Jelly Bean or KitKat or whatever, but you have 99% of devices that support Google Play services so i think software fragmentation has become less of an issue i think the the major issue is is hardware fragmentation where you have devices of all of various screen sizes various pixel resolutions different different pro- processor versions and uh, so especially what's happened is many apps although they can run at uh, for mid-range devices and high-end devices they have a bit of a problem at uh, for extremely low-end devices specifically devices that are priced at around uh, $100 I think that's kind of what Google's trying to accomplish with Android 1. They're trying to bring in a quality benchmark at the low end to kind of deal with the hardware fragmentation issue a little bit and uh, that might have the indirect effect of also increasing competition but uh, that's probably a uh, happy coincidence from their perspective.
0: I think this is probably interesting because um, just the last couple of days Firefox operating system I can I guess is yes. one of the what I call the smaller players which also includes yeah. BlackBerry and yeah. Windows phone, yeah. where do you see the Firefox $33 phone sits with, again, say something like an Android one, because it's within that, Android one is something to hit within the $100 market.
1: Correct. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's interesting, actually. I was very bullish about the Firefox OS about 12 to 18 months ago, because back then, uh, Android still hadn't hit the $100 price price range. They were still at about $200. Uh, I think what's happening is uh, Android's going down market very, very aggressively now. So uh, today, Firefox OS doesn't really have much of an ecosystem. Their $33 phones are effectively targeted at feature phone users who will by and large use these devices as feature phones. So even though you might have some buyers, you definitely will have buyers at that price point, you might not necessarily create ecosystem loyalty. So then when they upgrade, they might not necessarily upgrade to another Firefox OS phone. That's
0: right. Which, which makes me wonder, you see, because I guess of operating system was um, Firefox represents, I think, the closest to when a particular app, mobile application is not dependent on the operating system itself. Well, let me yeah. paraphrase yeah. that. And actually, I've been writing a lot in this whole space of native versus web apps. Uh-huh. So the yeah. native apps is actually the application that um basically built on top of the platform itself. Yeah. 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 Whereas the web app is basically something that you can load it off from the browser. I mean, the yeah. ideal world is that most de- developers don't want to give that 30% to, the, that, to stay to the platform rather than to be able to get a hundred percent. But mm. currently the native apps are winning because Apple and Google have locked in the developers within the ecosystem itself. Correct, yeah. So I guess it, it, if Firefox OS doesn't exist, would we be, would, would there still be a, I think the world, is it going to go back, go into the world of native applications or we have to wait for a while to get some form of disruptive technology that will take us into the web application system? It's a little bit like the the internet in the 1990s yeah. basically before Google turned out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, kind of what we're seeing. Right? That although there might be just one difference in that's of unified distribution. So back in the days of the internet, it was effectively the wild west, right? You'd you go to Yahoo to try and find a web page, but you'd have to know what you were looking for. And now what's happened is app stores have sort of uh, become curators, uh, uh, so to speak, of uh, of mobile apps. Uh, now even though now again what's happened is I think that model worked for a little bit of time, but now with the amount of apps exploding, it's still difficult to find uh, what you're looking for. Uh, so we might need a new model or uh, i don't i'm not sure if this is going to be built on top of app stores or if it will be a parallel model entirely maybe we need something that uh, that's similar to a PageRank rank for apps
0: that's right i think there are there are three conditions that you need to satisfy one is the so called the search and discovery piece which you uh-huh. clearly talk about the PageRank rank for apps yeah. the second piece is actually the payment piece where oh, absolutely yeah. it's like the having the paypal equivalent but on a mobile browser yeah, it has to be as seamless as somehow you can actually plug and play within that, the system itself. Yeah, and the third is probably the ability to process the developers' needs mm-hmm. that doesn't make it beholden to that particular platform, and that one is the hardest to do.
1: Yeah, and it, uh, it's kind of hardest because of the motivations, right? If you are a platform owner and you want to incentivize developers to build HTML5 apps, you kind of want to create some sort of tie-in to your platform. Otherwise, you don't really have a motivation to do anything. Correct.
0: So, 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 so that's where the catch-22 happens yeah. for most yeah. developers. And I think that that's also the problem why Windows, despite having a very good UI, very good UX, is unable to yeah. attract developers because the network effect is just so large that they have to Correct. overcome yeah. that threshold of activating developers for them.
1: So and we've already learned that I think uh, Microsoft tried to uh, attract developers by putting out cash prizes and you know financial incentives, but that doesn't really work. That doesn't incentivize developers to create apps for engagement or try and attract a large user base. All it does is incentivize them to put an app on the app store. I'm, I'm not sure that's the right motivation.
0: That's right. But what about BlackBerry then? The, I mean, the, it still occurs. I mean, you work in a bank previously, right? BlackBerry must be like yeah. the, you know...
1: Yeah, where, where did
0: they was. go? Where where where, where they go then? Are they going to? Are they go, still going to be totally get swamped up by Android? And I mean, even iOS is going enterprise these days.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the biggest mistake they uh, they honestly made was to not uh, use BlackBerry as a sort of platform on top of Android. I think they could have used uh, Android's app ecosystem and at the same time. Uh, used at least BBM as a service that they could have monetized across both Android and iOS. I think they attempted that very, very late, and by the time they did that, they already had very, very strong competition in the messaging space. So, uh, right now, what's happened is back in about 2008 to 2010, especially in India, Blackberry was, was all the rage, especially among uh, the more corporate customers, more well to do uh, individuals. And slowly and but surely, people have started noticing the fact that the lack of an application ecosystem is, is a real drawback and they've effectively migrated away to either iOS or Android depending on you know the, how deep their pockets are and their personal preferences. Uh, right now, I think they're trying to focus on becoming a cross-platform mobile device management solution. I think they realize that uh, even if they completely focus on the enterprise, the handset business is not going to be what's, what's going to save them. It's going to be... Uh, device management, uh, enterprise encryption services for other devices. But uh, I think at the same time, they are they, they do have some competition there, but it's probably not as cutthroat as it is in the device space.
0: You think that the ibm apple deal partnership, or we call it, will not affect BlackBerry in that sense? I mean, even uh, Windows Phone think, is also going in that direction too, right?
1: Yeah, I think it definitely will. I think IBM's got deep distribution partnerships. I, I think the one concern is that uh, apple's typically been a company that has uh, that works very well by itself but with partners uh, we need to see how how that works out but in general when we when we look at it on paper i think it's uh it has a lot of potential i, I think uh, apple for, for apple going down market isn't really an option so the only way they can uh, they could attempt to grow their volumes by going up market and the only place left up market is enterprise uh, i think this is especially going to be helpful for the ipad Especially if Apple uh, tries and uh, pushes some productivity offerings on uh, on the tablet, I think one thing holding back the iPad is that developers have f- focused mostly on content consumption. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential for rethinking how we work. We've been working the same way for about 30 years now, and I think if, if Apple can push that in the next 12 months, I think they're gonna uh, have. Uh, I I think they're gonna reap a major benefit on the enterprise side in particular.
0: Well, you've you just been talking about the, hand, the handsets and the tablets as well and how it changes work and play. And it's, good, it's yeah. actually interesting that I want to change the conversation to a little bit about handset distribution. Mm-hmm. So I think that there is this situation now that um, Apple is still leading on the top-end market. It's more yeah. perceived as, a, as how women perceive Louis Vuitton handbags, basically. Yeah, and Apple. especially in Asia. Yeah, people perceive Apple as a luxury brand. So yeah. it doesn't matter where you are; the top five to ten percent will buy that the Apple products. Mm. They they been locked into the ecosystem. They have the uh, they buy the apps. They have the credit cards. They go from the app store, etc. And mm. then there is this kind of medium segment, which for a while I think Samsung is kind of the lead. Right? They came up. They answer to the customers. They basically. Um, produce as many f- screen sizes, as many different variations of the handset. I guess you would have the nodes, what we call the phablets as well. Yeah, yeah. But I noticed in the last couple of, maybe last 9-12 months, there is what I call the middle-end middle, cl- middle, middle end handsets that are actually threatening Samsung from the side. I mean, mm. but, and these guys actually don't build their own devices. Yes. You have Xiaomi in China. And yeah. and you have Micromax in India, yeah. so what is actually happening from that perspective?
1: So I look at the market in terms of both usage and uh, uh, and pricing, right? So right, what's happened is Apple effectively started pricing their phones right at the top of the market, and they've sort of they went down market a little bit, but it, it was mostly older devices. So let's say they're at five hundred dollars to one thousand dollars, and you had Samsung that started out at around six hundred to to $1000 and they started moving down to about $200 That's so right. samsung is more diversified on price than than apple so at the same time uh, the android operas- operating system because it's effectively free to use has attracted a whole host of oems like uh, like xiaomi and micromax don't re- they don't necessarily manufacture their own devices but they're good at other things uh, xiaomi at services and generating a buzz around their devices micromax at uh, expanding distribution so what's happened is, uh, this has created OEMs that effectively have an extendable business model. So they started effectively at a very, very low price point, let's say $200. right? But as Moore's Law took hold, uh, devices beca- hardware became cheaper, hardware became better, and they started moving upmarket. And in that upmarket march, Samsung was effectively the first uh, uh, company to face the brunt because they were the biggest company that was diversified across price points. So as uh, Micromax and uh, Xiaomi uh, have come in with $200 uh, devices they're actually their devices at $200 may actually be comparable to a Samsung device at $400 so the price segmentation model that was in place maybe four years ago is is no longer valid because you, you have cheaper devices that are taking away customers from higher price devices
0: but and some, yeah but then they're, they're also because Samsung itself is an OEM too, right?
1: Correct it is. Correct. And uh, so one opportunity for Samsung, right right now for on their device business, right? I think they they they're in a bit, bit of a catch twenty two. so they they can choose to either increase their marketing cost or decrease prices to uh, to maintain volumes, which will reduce their profit margins or uh, they could try and hold on to the current state of affairs and hold on to their profit per device while their profit overall profits come volumes and profits come down. But I think because of the amount of competition in the OE in the device space, they have an opportunity to shift profits from the device end to the components end because the, all, of, all of a sudden there's so many device, uh, I wouldn't call them device manufacturers, device sellers. That means they have that many more customers for their components business. And this is something that we saw in, in the PC industry as well. I, I actually had some stats on this which were pretty interesting. Okay. Uh, in 86, uh, you integrated com- computing companies like Apple and Samsung, back then Apple and IBM had about 80% of, Industry profit share and suppliers of components and, so- and software had about 20%. Five years later, the integrated computing companies saw their profits drop to one quarter of what, what they were, and the profits of suppliers doubled. And I think that's we're, we're moving to a similar situation now where it becomes much more uh, attractive to be a to be selling goods or services or software to downstream downstream device manufacturers or device sellers rather than sell devices to consumers
0: so technically in your analogy so something like xiaomi and micromax is like a dell basically or hp in that sense uh, yeah my,
1: micro, yeah sell device sell uh, uh, components to xiaomi micromax hp any asus any any vendor out there that's right xiaomi would probably be slightly different because uh, their goal isn't to, uh, to monetize uh, hardware. So they have their own services uh, ecosystem that they're building up. In India, for example, they're tying up content partnerships to, to try and monetize. They already have their uh, uh, localized services in China. which uh, So uh, what they're trying to do is build localized services partnerships. So they're effectively are becoming their own supplier. And that's what they're, they're trying to profit from.
0: Well, I guess also Xiaomi in China has the advantage of leveraging on the kind of uh, similar social media platforms, for example, Weibo, WeChat, Alipay, yeah. whereas yeah. a lot of the other kind of um, similar equivalents, for example, to for Micromax to access into China is actually much tougher than the other yeah, way around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: and even from a profit perspective, uh, because Google Play doesn't really exist in China, they have their own app store and they can profit from that. But uh, overseas, they, in India especially, they need to look at alternative means to monetize. Correct.
0: So a lot has been talked about Xiaomi. I mean, they've been had a big feature in Bloomberg, you know, everywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: What is, can you tell me a little more about Micromax in India?
1: So Micromax is effectively one of the the earliest movers uh, in the Indian devices space. Right now you have uh, a lot of manufacturers. You have Micromax, Carbon, Lava, uh, Intex. Intex is one of the manufacturers that has taken up uh, Firefox OS. and uh, the advantage of their uh, back then when, when they started uh, selling smartphones they they actually sold feature phones as well they were attempting to compete with nokia in that space so what they did was they actually built up their distribution partnerships uh, before smartphones came into work. and when when android came when when they launched their first android smartphone they already had had they already had pre deep distribution partnerships actually i think this would be a good time to talk about the difference in uh, smartphone distribution between India ah. and, and and China and the rest of the world okay
0: that's a good point to a good yeah. side definitely
1: yeah so uh, in 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 most countries you have carriers that have effectively become the gatekeepers of mobile device distribution. This is true in China as well even though the subsidy model is slightly different where you have to pay the full uh, price upfront and then you get monthly uh, you get a, you get a rebate on your monthly bill in India the carriers have virtually no power on distribution. It's uh, you effectively buy your phone at the same place where you would buy a laptop or you would buy a TV. The distribution model doesn't change. And so you have large stores, small stores, and depending on a, on the town you go to, you, you have a very, very fragmented uh, distribution channel. And because of this, the depth of distribution partnerships become very, very important. And this was one of the biggest reasons that Nokia was so successful in, in India. And as far as I know, Nokia... Uh, wasn't well, while they were very successful in China, they weren't as successful as they were in India. India was one of their biggest markets. And I think this is something Micromax picked up on. And they, they attempted to follow the the, uh, the same model. And so once the Windows Phone partnership was announced and uh, uh, some distributors weren't too keen on moving away from Symbian, so they started looking for alternatives. And Micromax and Samsung were, were some of those alternatives. So uh, effectively, Micromax has been... Setting up the distribution channel for 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 years and years and uh, and much before smartphones even started, so they had a huge head start, and they effectively were in the driver's seat to to disrupt the larger OEMs like Samsung.
0: Correct. So actually, in essence, I mean, if people talk about Xiaomi as more like uh, trying to mimic what Apple is doing, but then Xiaomi also say that they are more like Amazon in terms of dealing with business models, right? Mm-hmm. I think you also, yeah. I think you have written quite a big Fairly about um, Xiaomi in terms of what how their services revenue has been ongoing yeah. etc. Yeah, yeah. So, what is Micromax' a, a core advantage? Is it in just distribution? Do they have like for example, Xiaomi has a good understanding of Android system, right? One of the yeah. founders yeah. is the yeah. head of Android for China before he joined Xiaomi, yeah. and he yeah. hired his boss Hugo Barra later. So, yeah. how does how does, what, 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 what do you see as Micromax
1: um, core well, competency then? The way I see it, Xiaomi's core competence is software because it's effectively been established by software and services guys, right? Micromax in uh, that way, it's difficult to call them a software company. They don't, have, they don't have core competence in that area the way Xiaomi does. They've effectively been, their core competence is uh, sales, distribution, and marketing uh, in a way that, uh, that's very similar to Samsung. So, which is kind of why uh, Samsung finds them so challenging, because they've been they've effectively been aping Samsung, but at a much lower cost structure, because then they're not uh, distributed, uh, they're not as spread ac- spread across geographically as Samsung is. So, that, I think that's what I'd say. They've they've been trying to ape Samsung and Nokia for the for the longest time. So, their uh, core strength is in marketing and in establishing deep partnerships with distributors. They've been trying something on services and advertising, but. Uh, you know when a when a company that's whose core competence is not software is trying to get into software, you can tell, right? So I think Samsung, MicroMax finds itself in in that situation right now.
0: Isn't that the same situation that happened to Samsung where they tried to do their Tizen operating system Correct, and they yeah. just couldn't get it to work?
1: Correct. Yeah. And and I I think even if you do hire software people from work, it's it's not that difficult to hire as long as you have the funds for it. You can always uh, hire, and you can put together a software stack, you can put together APK compatibility, but what you can't do is try and copy Google, Google services APIs that aren't available to you as an external software stack. And uh, I think that uh, Samsung has found that very difficult. I, I know they've, uh, these companies have been talking to CyanogenMod for getting access to another software stack, but I don't think that solves the problem either. Uh, I think it's uh, Android's effectively an ecosystem play, and it's It's virtually impossible to recreate an ecosystem this way, this far down the road until you have a new input paradigm.
0: But Samsung is not currently under siege. I mean, everybody, you know, two, three years ago, were all predicting that Apple would be slaughtered by Samsung, HTCs, and, you know, whichever the players. I mean, but the world has shifted two, three years later, and what you're seeing is Apple is just sitting right on the top, and then Samsung is right in the middle, but it gets taken onslaught from the from Micromax and Xiaomi from the other direction
1: so yeah I think what what's happening is goes back to the extendable business models, right so you have low-end OEMs that are able to extend their business model upmarket because they can do what the higher-end OEMs can do for, for cheaper and I think Samsung is effectively the first company in the way because they're diversified across price points Apple I think especially in Asia sits right at the top so they can't be touched there but in the west uh as the subsidy model keeps changing, there's still some effect to be had there. But I think that'll happen a little later because they're further up market than Samsung is.
0: That's right. But I think Samsung is also directly challenging them in the US market for that high-end for that high-end base as well. So
1: Yeah. That's an interesting battle in the US market, right? Because I think that's one market that's completely dominated by carriers. So what's happened there is uh price, uh, for the longest time, price effectively was no barrier. So you would have pr- smartphones priced from $0 to $200 and you'd have the entire range there. And it, it so you basically wouldn't, they, there was no price quality trade-off. It was just quality. Okay, this, this works well for me, so I so I picked this device. But I think uh, what T-Mobile is doing there with shifting the price, uh, the subsidy model over to a a financing model, AT&T is moving there as well. That's having a bit of an impact on, uh, on high-end devices. I think... Uh, there aren't too many sources that give regional-wise uh, smartphone breakdown. But I think Kantar is one. And I think uh, high-end OEMs have uh, suffered there a little bit.
0: So where do you think Samsung is going to position itself? Or should it actually at some point end up, should it protect what it has in the smartphone market? Or should it you know, just um focus on a certain category, whether it's high-end, medium-end, low-end? I mean, the OEM side. I think they, they, they I think they yeah. are not dead yet. They are not
1: dead in the water. Oh yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think Samsung is going to be dead in the water at uh, any time in the near future. It's just, uh, it, it's just a slow decline. Uh, I don't think they have, they really have a shot at retaining much of their their low end portfolios portfolio. So right now, I think they should be looking at mid range and, and especially high end where the brand still carries some cachet, if not it doesn't carry as much of a cachet as as an Apple maybe, but it carries some cachet. Uh, I think what they should do is try and defend their portfolio the best the best they can without trying to resort to price wars or uh, going crazy with their marketing spend, and at the same time uh, try and try and expand their components business, their display business. I think they still have one of the best display uh, displays on the market, and uh, I I think that's that's a major uh, that that could be a, a much larger profit driver down the line. Uh, but right now, I, I'm not sure there's there's much they can do except see the, the low-end space. At the high-end, I think they should try and uh, target the enterprise market. Especially in Asia, I think there's some potential for for them to do that. Actually,
0: uh, they did that earlier than Apple. So there, there was, I think about two years ago, they started this whole chain of ads about being enterprise-friendly. Yeah, enterprise friendly.
1: yeah right. and the lockdown knocks, right? KNOX, I think that Correct. was called Yeah yeah I, th- I think that's that still has some some potential because they're not going to see low-end competition in the enterprise space. They're effectively going going against Apple and at least in in Asia, uh, I'm not sure how much traction Apple has in the enterprise space, so I think that's that's still they're effectively going against Blackberry. so I, I think that's still an area they can uh, they can target.
0: It's also because Samsung is predominantly a consumer electronics company that is very similar in character to what was Sony in Japan many, many years ago.
1: Right? And, That's
0: true, yeah but, but but let me let me just drive back a bit on Samsung. Maybe I, I can expand a little bit because I spent mm-hmm. some time reading about um, the company's ethos and etc and mm-hmm. and one of the interesting things about Samsung, um, the reason why they became so prominent was that their strategy has always been they manufactured a critical component of a particular mm-hmm. device that they follow. so they yeah. started first with I think refrigerators. And they basically do the very important cooling unit. Through that, they mapped out what is the again they did um, all the big you know the 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 Bosch the all the big European outsource basically these components to Samsung, and eventually mm-hmm. they overtake him, them because they figure out what they need critically and they innovated on it, and then yeah. they. They they control the refrigerator. Well, now they are dominant player in the refrigerator. They did the same mm. with TV through the LCD panels and the flat screen panels. Yeah, and they subsequently did it exactly the same way for how they entered the smartphone by doing the mm. the, the uh, solid stage drives. I think if yeah. people talk about solid state drives, they are the best in the market.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I think even in the recent conversation about, I I mean we we hear these. Uh, supply chain rumors of Apple. Even Apple still have to go back to them for yeah. more of those ch- chips, right? And yeah. and that's how they actually entry. But 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 surprisingly, for this for this smartphone market, it's becoming a little bit more complicated for them as compared to refrigerators and TV screens. Yeah. So I wondered, like, can they use this kind of um, strategy again? in 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 what's going to come next because this is kind of the counter example for the first time, right?
1: Yeah, I I actually think they actually think they can for Apple as as well new product categories are are kind of a Panacea for a slowing market elsewhere, right? but um, It's a very interesting point to bring up because because Samsung isn't the only company to do this and it's not It's not the only industry in which this has happened. So one example one very popular example in the PC industry is Dell and Asus right, so Dell Used to uh, effectively started manufacturing their devices, and ASUS used to be a contract manufacturer back then. And uh, slowly, slowly but surely, they started taking up more and more of uh, the design, etc., etc., until the point where Dell just became a marketing arm. And by that time, ASUS had learned enough where they entered the market themselves and started eating away at Dell's market. And HTC followed uh, somewhat similar path. They were an ODM, and then they moved into moved downstream into building their own devices. So we've seen this over and over again and, and we've seen it right from the days of the original PC to the mobile industry. So I don't see any reason why it can't continue. There will obviously be a lag between the innovator and the fast follower, which in this case Samsung would, would end up being. And uh, obviously the, the the first variant of the fast follower will never be as good as the early innovator's product. But because of Moore's law and because of the pace of uh, improvement of technology, over, over the years they can catch up. And uh, and, and that's uh, and, uh although some people might might find fault with it, it's a valid strategy, and it's and it's worked well in the past, and it will it will probably work well in the future as well.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you see um, Xiaomi's entry to India market look like then?
1: Uh, it's actually a very uh, interesting uh, uh, view because uh, Indian consumers have never had a great view on uh, on on Chinese brands, right? And I think Xiaomi was the first company to really build up. Uh, that much of a buzz. Uh, so we've seen uh, supply-demand imbalance of about 10 times. So there's about, uh, I think they've been selling them uh, on weekly flash sales of over 20,000 units and there's period, periodically there have been registrations of about 200,000 to 350,000 depending on, on the week. And uh, they've had absolutely no problem selling their devices. But there's a bit of a risk there as well. So I think there's uh, that some consumers may be getting a bit disillusioned at not being able to uh, get access to a phone in a timely manner and they might be defecting to uh, competitors. So that might be maybe one small thing to watch out for. But broadly speaking, I think they've they've been very successful. I, they're supposed to be launching their uh, uh, Redmi uh, tomorrow, if I'm not wrong. And that's going to be priced at about 100, 100 to $120. Yep. And I think the supply for that is uh, a little bit... Uh, more than it was for, for the My3, but uh, still a little bit on the lower side.
0: Yeah, basically when the Redmi came out in Singapore, it was sold out almost, I think, less than minutes, basically.
1: Yeah, and I think the same thing is happening here. So, uh, I mean, Flipkart, flip the distributors followed um, an interesting way of calculating sellouts, but they've effectively been sold out in a couple of seconds every time.
0: Yeah, I I, I guess the, the question is the are... Uh, their approach in terms of doing it using e-commerce, I mean, the way how they distribute is also very unique as well, which I think yeah. a lot of people yeah. under, underestimated it as well from, yeah. from, yeah. from that viewpoint. So I, yeah. I, I guess I guess what, what, do you, what do you think in the next sort of um, six months, six to nine months kind of view in the smartphone? You're going to see Micromax is going to try to... Dominate India because they have the distribution. I think Xiaomi yeah, will more yeah. be a, like an entry player. Yeah. And yeah. W- hoping that they will get, most likely, they will eat Samsung's market share. And Samsung yeah. will be hit, hit. They're already being hit in China, they're going to be hit in India. Yeah. And Southeast Asia, they, I mean, Xiaomi is already entered in then. I think mean, do you see Micromax going to Southeast Asia then?
1: Uh, they have been looking abroad. I'm not so sure if they're going to Southeast Asia, but I, I uh, they might be. But I know they're looking at markets like Brazil and and West and West Africa, for example. Effectively, they're looking at underpenetrated markets where they can be one of the first movers and where they where they can establish their distribution advantage again.
0: Right. So 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 it's, it's a little bit the the Brazil is now like the next market for them.
1: Yeah. To yeah. look Brazil at Brazil and and Africa. Africa in, in particular, I think it's at a very very early stage probably where India was uh, three to four years ago. So I, I think that they can effectively replicate their, uh, their, their game plan in India right there.
0: Right, so I guess the, the, the question mark then becomes, becomes whether Xiaomi will go after those markets or they will just focus on all the kind of um, emerging markets.
1: So I think Xiaomi has, uh, their advantages and disadvantages are somewhat interrelated. So, they, ha- they hold a business model advantage over practically every OEM in the market because they don't want to monetize on, on hardware, right? That's right. But at, this, but at the same time, because they need to keep their cost structure really low. Uh, so they, can't, they don't really do any expensive marketing, uh, which is why they rely on flash sales. Uh, a, because they want to manufacture only in batches with no inventory to remove any notion of inventory costs, yes. and B, because those flash sales generate their own buzz and they don't need to do additional marketing, which keeps their cost structure at a bare minimum. But this also means that you need to target users who are a uh, fairly net savvy, so that they can uh, target them using uh, relatively free online portals, and b that those users would be savvy enough to use whatever services they can put on those devices that they can monetize, right? So that may not so that that would work very well on a Flipkart kind of model where you'd have. Uh, fairly uh, upmarket users that are coming in and buying these devices. But it might not work very well in entire two towns where people are going to their neighborhood store to buy, buy a new smartphone, which is where Micromax still retains an advantage. And in markets like Africa, uh, I'm not too familiar with the, with the African market. I'm not sure about the e-commerce play there. But my guess is that uh, uh, the distribution pattern might be might skew towards uh, what, uh, what Micromax uh, sees as an advantage.
0: Right, and and actually, Brazil is a interesting market for yeah. them as well. I think even yeah. for their in e-commerce in Brazil is still not that developed. Yeah, basically, yeah. There.
1: So, so in, in that way, I think Micromax benefits from being an early mover, and Xiaomi actually benefits from being a late mover in every market.
0: Right, that's actually a very interesting view. That means who is going to actually so Micromax is better as an early early mover, and Xiaomi yeah. is better as a late mover. Yeah. Ah, and then Samsung is like now in between places basically.
1: Correct, yeah. And because they're going to be, they're effectively going to, going to have a target on their back no matter who's entering the market, whether it's Micromax or it's Xiaomi.
0: Correct. And I think probably HTC was going to be, have a hard time too, I guess. They're Taiwanese yeah. and, and predominantly yeah. they have a very small market. But one, one, one thing that I do feel very sad for HTC is that they do produce very good handsets.
1: They actually do, yeah, and, and uh, I think that's why they were one of the most successful Android OEMs in about 2010-2011 in the US market. That's so right. they really had the, the best devices, even though they. Because I think their design team was really, really strong. And since then, I think just the market dynamics have take, taken over because uh, devices have sort of become good enough where it's really hard to differentiate purely on the basis of design anymore.
0: But if you look at the gadget reviews, people talk about the HTC One and the. You know all devices that they do. The, it really is really probably the if it's after the Nexus series, I think probably it's between a HTC and a Xiaomi for me. I mean, oh, absolutely. I do that for for a living, so yeah. Typically, on that, although I carry an iPhone, yeah, yeah. What about you? What what do you
1: carry? Uh, I carry a Nexus Five at the moment. Uh, uh, I actually got it for free, so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I think that's an interesting point, right? Because HTC does make one of the best devices on the market so it actually does appeal to the highest tires of, of users and usually gadget reviewers are the highest tires of the, of the market, right? That's right? But as you go down market, people don't care as much about design, they're more worried about does this get the job done for me and what does it cost? And at that at that point, HTC doesn't find itself to be as competitive as uh, some of the other manufacturers.
0: You know, there, there is this this crazy thought that sometimes, you know, you may see someday that Apple might just acquire the HTC's Team, they don't have to acquire HTC. Just just have to acquire the design team, basically.
1: Yeah, but I, they might have to do it quick because I, I hear there's uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, attrition going on there. Uh, there's manufacturers like OnePlus One that have been picking them up. Right.
0: yep. And and OnePlus One is actually a Chi- uh, is it a Taiwanese or Chinese OEM?
1: Um, I I thought it was Chinese. I'm not entirely yeah, it's sure.
0: Yeah, Chinese Chinese OEM. Right. They use cyanogen mode basically. Yeah. 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 So, actually, we are just hitting the right time to end. So, I oh, might, okay, right. I think this has been a very good conversation and I definitely have a lot more to chat with you. I think you write a lot about other topics too, right? Your website. Okay, just to help you to plug, it's www.tech-thoughts.net, right? Uh, tech-thoughts.net. Hyphen. Dot, thoughts dot. Yeah. Okay, we usually, yeah. And and, yeah. and, what, and what do you usually write other than just about the mobile ecosystem, which I know you write a lot about?
1: Yeah, so uh, my primary interest is uh, business models within the digital ecosystem at the moment. So what's happened is uh, uh, I kind of started writing the blog when uh, innovation was at its peak in the hardware uh, industry. So we, we were looking at the OS wars and, and the OEM wars back then. But as hardware sort of become good enough, we've We've seen much more. Uh, the locus of innovation has kind of shifted to uh, the layer on top of existing platforms. So you have you've had messaging apps becoming uh, platforms in and, of, in and of themselves, and you've had uh, companies like Uber trying to build platforms on uh, trying to build platforms connecting drivers and customers. So I think that's a very interesting area for me to explore as to how business models are evolving and what areas of the value chain uh, have we. Really, uh, uh, been been att- attracting most of the value, and w- where is profitability going to shift in the next five to ten years?
0: Hmm. Did you just write something on Snapchat? I think a couple of days ago.
1: Yeah, I, w- I was writing about uh, Snapchat's valuation. I thought it was very interesting. The, uh, anytime any uh, digital company is funded, there's always a big controversy as to whether they deserve that valuation. So, <laughs> and I, I think.
0: So, short, uh, short, short answer to this question that I'm gonna pose you: Do you think Uber yeah. is worth twelve billion dollars?
1: Uh, short answer would be, uh, if they're going to be, be a platform that's going to expand beyond taxi services into logistics, then absolutely yes.
0: But they are already doing that in the U.S. They just haven't done that in Asia.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think still they've still been testing it. They've just released the API, and they have a select list of partners where, for for example, airways and and travel uh, online travel companies where you could also book an, an Uber cab. Uh, they've been testing a couple of delivery services here and there, but that, I, that's, that's still to see how the, uh, what the long-term use cases will be. I don't think it's been implemented uh, fully yet. I think Uber five years from now will look very, very different from Uber today. Mm. And uh, I think their uh, uh, revenues and uh, I think we will see them as a very different company back then. I think you might see them as uh, a new Google, so to speak.
0: Right. Or they will be as pair with Google. I mean the 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 ideal. world everybody's been talking about is Uber plus self driving cars from Google. That's why Google, I think, almost invested, I think, three hundred twenty million into Uber.
1: Yeah, actually, that's a very interesting point. Again, to me, self driving cars are actually the biggest risk Uber faces. Because when you look at Uber's model today, right, they've got uh, they effectively got a zero capex model. They don't they don't own the cars. Uh, it's the drivers that want to get in touch with with customers, and all they do is create a platform to help them connect and manage the payments. The moment you have self-driving cars, the drivers are out of the, out of the equation entirely. At that point, does Uber need to buy and own the self-driving cars to run their network? In which case, does their business model work anymore? I'm not, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I, I think that's an interesting question.
0: Yeah, there is an interesting question. I mean, if they ever end up buying self-driving cars, means they will own their own fleet, right? Wouldn't yeah, they be yeah. no different from a FedEx or UPS? Basically? Exactly,
1: yeah. Yeah, so effectively, they'd be another taxi company at that point. Well, they and don't they have
0: to be, right? They can own trucks
1: and yeah. they can own everything yeah, else, yeah. right? Yeah, they'd, they'd be just another logistics company. They wouldn't be very, very different. But in that sense, maybe Google Ventures investment in Uber is a hedge against self-driving cars not working out.
0: Ah, I didn't see it that way. I didn't yeah, see it that way. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you're probably right. I think this is a very interesting, interesting point. I mean, everybody sees this as complementary, but actually, it's not true. It's actually their own hedge against themselves, and saying that what is self-driving cars don't work, basically.
1: Yeah, because every time I hear about the Google X team talk about self-driving cars, they talk about a situation where car ownership isn't necessary, where you have self-driving cars just walk going around the city, and you just flag one down and get into it. But uh, they've they've obviously had a lot of problem with uh, problems with regulators because obviously regulators don't <laughs> aren't as uh, are really early adopters and and uh, it's always a bit of a problem to get them, get them on board new technologies but in case that's a hurdle that they that they can't can't overcome maybe uber becomes that uh, logistics provider with cars spinning around around the city mm,
0: that's a good point so where can we find you i found you on twitter so what's your twitter id uh
1: my twitter handle is sameer_sing17 unfortunately uh I have a very very common Indian name, so I, so I couldn't just use Sameer Singh, which is why I've had have, had those numbers at the end. Right. So
0: seventeen is just a special number to you, or, or it's, it's my
1: date of birth. Uh, so I figured it would be unique enough.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. So Sameer, thanks again for coming onto the show, and I think this will not be the first or the last. You will probably come even more, and I think we can talk about Uber, Snapchat in much more detail. The next
1: no. time round, absolutely, right. Bernard. Thank you yep. for having me. I'd love to be back.
0: Yep, this is Bernard Leung signing off. um If you want to come to the site, we have a site at a n a l y s e dot Asia, and you can actually read my own columns at bernardleung.com or you can always chit chat with me on Twitter at b leung c w. Um, actually, Samyang, once again, thank you and thank you all for listening. Bye bye.
1: Bye, Bernard.